Amen. You, amen. You can be seated this morning. As we continue to worship today, uh, we are excited uh, to have you here with us, and uh, this is our Connection College Sunday, and uh, we are excited that you're here, especially you college students, we're excited uh, that you're here. We have lunch today for you at the end of the 11 o'clock service. I'm ready to eat. You ready to eat? Yes, food. All right, Anna, I'm starting to timer because when me and you start talking, it never ends. Um, this is Anna Davis, and Anna is part of our leadership team here at Connection College. And uh, Anna, we just want to hear your story this morning of how you ended up in Statesboro. You're from America, Georgia, right? Yeah. Yee, yee, what are shoes for? Um, Anna's from, just kidding, uh, Anna's from America, Georgia, but we don't want to hear how you ended up in Statesboro, how you found Connection Church, Connection College. Just let us know how you ended up here. Well, I always said that I would never come to Georgia Southern because there are so many people from my high school that come to Georgia Southern, and then I came one time, and I came for a cheer clinic, and I fell in love with Georgia Southern, with Statesboro, with, I cheered here, um, and so that's how I found Georgia Southern, and then actually there was someone from my hometown that was involved in Connection, so then she invited me, and I came every Sunday, and it, but it wasn't until this past semester, really, with Connection College um, that I got really involved in because of the cheerleading, I don't cheer anymore because the Lord called me away from that. But because of cheer, there weren't, I couldn't go to any other ministries um, during the week. But connection being on Wednesdays, I was able to come and um, just felt really welcomed. And all the people here um, always had a smile on their face and they always wanted the Lord to be known. And it wasn't about them and it wasn't about um, making their name great, but it was making the name of the Lord great. And so that's one of the things that really drew me to Connection and then especially Connection College. And you've done more than just come and attend. How have you gotten involved here at Connection Church? So with the college ministry, uh, this year we started a, um, it's called Connection College Leadership Team, so I get to be a part of that. And that is that in and of itself is a total answer to prayer. Um, this summer the Lord really changed my heart, really in the past year, but really especially this summer the Lord really grabbed my heart and called me into ministry in some way, shape, or form. But this was just a very tangible way, and I just said, okay, Lord, what is my next step? And then that opened up, and so I've been able to get involved in that. Um, I'm also really involved in Connection students, so if you love middle school and high schoolers, we always need volunteers. They're so much fun, I promise. They're a little crazy. Love y'all if y'all are out there. But y'all are a little crazy, but we love you. Um, and so I'm really involved in that. And then Connect Group, small group is always a huge part of um, my story and should be a part of everybody's story because that's where you really grow in community and you really get to grow closer to the Lord because you're growing closer to his people. So one of our, our themes here, the, the feel of Connection College is we want to be your home away from home. For you college students, we know anytime you go, and for those of you that are new here today with us, anytime you go to a new church, it can be a little awkward, somewhat stressful. And we, we hope that that's not how it is here at Connection Church. We really want to be your home away from home to where when you look back in 10, 15 years from now after your time in college, you say, man, Connection Church really was my home away from home. We've got leadership. Uh, we have uh, folks that spend time here at Connection Church that really want to pour into your life and just love you and uh, really help this feel like your home away from home. Anna, has that theme played out in your life more than just a slogan? Oh, 100%. It wasn't until I got involved in Connection Church and I found that home away from home that I really felt like this was a place that I should be like... It was really hard. I thought I wanted to go home my freshman year, but I wasn't involved in a church, and I wasn't. I was 
going to campus ministries and stuff like that, but that's not a church home. And so it wasn't until I found Connection and the Lord really pulled me here that I really did feel like Statesboro is home. Statesboro is where the Lord has me. Um, and there's just something about people that love you and people that want to see you grow in your relationship with Christ that you can't find that anywhere else but a church. And thankfully, Connection has been that home away from home for me. That's awesome. College night starts this Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. And uh, that is for anybody that's in college or college age. And that happens right here in the auditorium. Uh, this is our band that was up here leading this morning. They lead us every Wednesday. It is an incredible environment for you to come and get connected. And uh, we would love to see you at college nights. There's also connect groups that you can get connected in by stopping at uh, the table out there in the lobby. And uh, we have folks that are ready to get you connected in a small group. And a life is not meant to be lived alone. It is best when in the context of community. And we want this to be more than just a place you come and sit for an hour. We want you to really get invested and uh, help this be your home away from home. Anna, we got one minute left. We did this. Can you believe it? Yes. Uh, would you pray for the college students that are here, uh, those that are ready to get involved in just this semester? Yeah. Hey, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for each and every person that has come in through these doors, Lord, and thank you that we have a place that we can gather, Lord, that we um, live in a country that we don't have to be fearful of persecution, Lord, that, but we are free to come and we are free to worship your name and to learn more about you. Um, I just thank you for each and every college student in this room, Lord. I thank you for each and every college student in Statesboro, Georgia, Lord, um, whether they go to Georgia Southern, East Georgia, Ogeechee Tech, all of the above, they're just a college-age student, Lord. I thank you that they are here, Lord, and I've heard stories just even in the past few weeks, Lord, that college kids are hungry, Lord. They are hungry for something to satisfy them. They are hungry for something to fill them, Lord. I pray that you would just keep tugging on their hearts, Lord, and that, that, that they will find that satisfaction in you and in you alone because you are the only one that can truly and wholly satisfy us, Lord. I just pray for those that are here now, God, that um, you will continue to burn in their heart, Lord, and continue to let them want to grow more and closer to you and look more like you. And I pray that for those that aren't here, God, that I pray that you Pull them in, Lord, that um, those that are here will invite, that we will not be scared, God, that we will be bold and that we will proclaim your name and that they will see a difference in us and that they want that difference, Lord. They want the full joy. They want the satisfaction. They want the hope and the peace and the comfort in the hard times, Lord. And I just pray that you just do a work, God, that you do a work in Statesboro through the college students, Lord. There are so many people on that campus that don't know you, Lord, that don't have the hope that we have, and Lord, you are a big God, and you can do big things, and Lord, we are believing for those big things, and I just pray um, for today, God, that you will just come, and that you will speak to each and every one of our hearts, and that we will walk out of this door looking more like you than when we came in. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. That was awesome. Thank you. Hey, folks. We good? Excited? Hey, Ms. Brenda. All right. Well, good deal. Well, um, I do want to echo a little bit of what they said just really quickly. Um, we are excited. We are, we are grateful for the college students here. Um, you bring a lot of energy to this church, and we, we are uh, uh, always glad when you return. And um, we do want to be a home away from home for you. Uh, we don't want it to be where you just come in and attend a service, but we really want you to be a part of the fabric of this church. And, and one of the reasons for that is we really do believe that the local church is the hope of the world. It really is. It is the hope of the world. We also believe that the church has unmatched potential and a purpose 
that we can't compromise. And we also believe this, that you have a vital role to play among the people of God, the church. And so we don't want it to be where you drift in on a Sunday morning, you drift in on a Wednesday night. We really want to see you become a part of the fabric of this church as so many other people in this room right now have because we have incredible potential as a church and we have an incredible purpose as a church. And every person in here has a vital role to play in that. Whether you believe it or not, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have a vital role to play in the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And if we will seek him, he will show us that part to be. He will show us our, our calling uh, individually and he will join us with this body of believers and we can make an incredible difference in the world. Speaking of it being a home away from home, we're in a series called Our House. And in this series, we're looking at some values, some things we believe that are important for the church, uh, for this church, but for God's church um, in general. And one of those values, and we're gonna talk about this today, is that because of these things that are true, that the church is the hope of the world, that we have incredible potential, a vital purpose, because we're all called to be a part of this. One of the values that we believe is really important is that we have extreme commitment to God and each other. That there is a fierce loyalty that exists toward one another. That's why we call it heart and soul. That's why over across this, this atrium hallway here, there is a sign above that door that says heart and soul. That is what we call people who are, are members here of this body who say, this is my local church. These are the people that I am going to do life with. It's more than having your name on a roll. It is being heart and soul with God and each other to accomplish the purposes for which God has called us to. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, today, if you'll go to the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel, um, Old Testament book, 1 Samuel chapter 13, I'll tell you, 1 Samuel is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, there's so much there, so much practical stuff, even just leadership type stuff. You watch the life of uh, Samuel, you watch the life of King Saul, you watch the life of King David, all in this one book. And there's so much to learn from what you should do, what you shouldn't do. But today I want us to really look and see how this account we're about to read gives us as the church so much encouragement and so much instruction. What we're about to read is where a young man by the name of Jonathan and his armor bearer, go attack the enemy. The enemy in this case is the Philistines. It's this other group that, um, they're, they're kind of like a thorn in the side of, of Israel um, over and over and over again throughout their history. But we look at this and this young man named Jonathan is actually the son of King Saul. Now, if you go and look at the life of King Saul, it's, it's really a life of tragedy because King Saul had so much potential, but that potential was left unfilled. He was the first king of Israel, had so much potential, could have been like their George Washington, goes down in history as you know, the, 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 this great leader. And yet when we look at uh, King Saul, he ends up ending his life by falling on his own sword. It's, it's really tragic. Because of that, the line of, of the kingship goes from Saul to David. Um, but we're gonna see a very, sharp contrast between Saul and his son, Jonathan. Jonathan, 
by all accounts of what we see about him, would have made a great king. And, and we're going to read one of these accounts here. It's just a little bit lengthy, but I want you to see the whole picture of this. Uh, it, it's not boring at all. If you will kind of go in your mind and begin to picture this. Picture this as I'm reading this, as you're following along. Picture what is happening. It, it's like a scene from Gladiator, right? The Bible is not boring, really. It's not. If you really look at it and you enter yourself into this picture, it is absolutely incredible. And so the Philistines are aligned kind of on one side of this valley. The Israelites are on another side. Um, and so we're going to read this account of what happens. It says in 1 Samuel 13, verse 16. 1 Samuel 13, verse 16 says, Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gabeah in Benjamin with the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three attachments. One turned towards Ophrah in the vicinity of Shual, another toward Beth Horon, and the third toward the borderland overlooking the valley of Zeboim, facing the wilderness. Listen, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes, and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. So on the day of the battle, listen to this, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Jabia under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahishah, who was wearing an ephod. This was a, a priestly garment. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. The reason it's important with the, the, the lineage of this priest is because he came from a rejected priesthood. If you go back to 1 Samuel 3, you can read about this. But Saul has this priest who was from a rejected priesthood or line of priests. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few. Do all you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. And at this point in the movie is when like the really um, thematic music starts, right? You know, uh, it's kind of that build up, right? And so they go, he says, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul, this armor bearer. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we'll climb up 
because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. See, here's the part where it gets real, right? So Jonathan steps out into the open and lets them see him. The armor bearer then is stepping out with him. It's one thing to say I'm heart and soul. It's another to put your life on the line, right? And so he steps out with him. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hand and hands and feet and his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. Awesome, right? Like if that were a movie, you'd be like, yes. Okay, just me then. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area about half an acre. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp and field, those in the outpost and raiding parties, and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's, Saul's lookouts at Gabeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hands. So in other words, this is one of the faults of, of Saul. He was very impulsive. He sees this panic breaking out across the, the valley and he realizes something's happening. And so he calls this priest and he's like, inquire of the Lord for us. And then Saul turns and he sees like, it's really getting worse. And they're really, there's something happening. He's like, never mind, let's go. Right. And so he goes to try to take advantage of this opportunity. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with swords. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites and were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had been hidden, who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Aven. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and its truth, God. God, I thank you that you call us to extreme commitment, God, to you. We get to be a part of this. What a privilege to each other, God. With all of our issues, God, you give us your spirit to give us the fruit of the spirit that we can love one another and be a people that bring glory to your name. God, I pray today our eyes would be open. We would live with eyes wide open, seeing the potential and the purpose of the church and that we would take our next steps of faith to enter into that, to see you accomplish great things, God, in your name. Father, we do love you. We thank you for the name that is above every name, the name in which all authority resides, the name in which God, we have been given authority to carry out your work on the earth. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. I wanna read something to you that uh, I think is pretty powerful. A friend of mine sent me this devotion 
a while back, and, and it came back to mind today. And I wanted to read this to you, but it, it fires me up. It convicts me. Um, not very long, but I, I want you to hear this. It says, a century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings in, into coffins. As they sailed out to port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved. Extreme, we see this as this extreme commitment, right? To God and his people. They said goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew. They knew they'd never return home. A man by the name of A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among that tribe and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came here, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When did we start believing that God wants us, wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? That faithfulness is holding the fort, that playing it safe is safe, that there is any greater privilege than sacrifice, that radical is anything but normal. I love this line. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. That's what I believe heart and soul is, right? Extreme commitment to God, extreme commitment to each other. Being willing to storm the gates of hell for the purpose of God. Being willing to do that with each other because we know there's a fierce loyalty that we have. We have each other's back, much like this armor bearer with Jonathan. I think about this account and this statement. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. And I think about that, and if we knew that were going to be the outcome of our life, I think we would make a lot more sacrifices than what we do. Think about the account with Jonathan and the armor bearer. If we knew the outcome of the story before we ever, you know, crawled down one hill up another went and, and went to this battle, we'd be much more likely to take that chance. Where we get hung up is in the place of uncertainty. We get hung up when we don't know for sure the outcome. If we knew the outcome, though, would we make an extreme commitment to God? Would we make a stream of commitment to each other? If we knew, we would see this type of movement, right? Would we make an, a, a greater commitment if we knew it would go down as one of the great victories of God for his people throughout history? to be recorded in some book that people would read forever? Would we be more likely to make that kind of commitment? But here's the thing I've realized after 45 years of living, the people who make the biggest impact are people who look at situations and when they see the circumstances and the situations, rather than asking why, they say, why not? It's people 
who look at things and they realize that the greatest mark on the earth and in people's lives are made by the people who keep grinding with optimism and hope even when success isn't sure. See, anybody can give it their all when we know that, 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 that success, that what we desire is going to happen. The greatest impact and eternal mark is made by people who see potential and they refuse to leave that potential on the table. The greatest difference in life are made by the ones who find a purpose worth giving their life for. Something even worth dying for. And here's the thing that I believe that we, the church of all people, should live more than anybody else with a why not mindset to refuse to go to our grave asking this question, what if I had, what could have been? That we, the church of all people, should have the optimism and hope like no one else to keep grinding in the midst of uncertainty, to keep pushing forward in the midst of uncertainty, that we, the church of all people, should recognize the enormous potential, not in you or not in me, but in us. And that we refuse to leave that potential unfulfilled. I believe that we, the church of all people, should realize that we have a purpose in life and that purpose is worth giving our life for. I wanna challenge us today and encourage us to live with eyes wide open, to see the unmatched potential of the church and the enormity of the church's purpose that God has literally called and empowered us to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. He's called us to this commitment to him because of this great commitment he's given to us and he's called us to fierce loyalty, to be heart and soul together, that we would run this race together, plundering hell for the kingdom of heaven is what he's called us to. Sometimes I don't think we're convinced that the church is the hope of the world. Sometimes I don't know if we are aware that we have a significant role to play in God's story. But we do. I want us to go through a little bit of this scripture in the time we have left and really begin to see that so much of what Jonathan and the armor bearer do bears witness to what we should be about, what we should do, but more even of what God desires to do through his people. The first thing I want you to see is in verses 16 through 21, that first part we read there. I want you to understand that the circumstances that Jonathan and the armor bearer are in, that Israel are in, are dire. 
when it talks about these raiding parties going out, it, it doesn't just say those. those. They were going to cut off supply lines to the Israelites. Not that they already had a lot of stuff, but they were trying to cut them off even more. We look at this, the Philistines were in such control that they wouldn't even allow Israel to have a blacksmith. So the Israelites had to go down there to get their goads, their, their um, uh, pitchforks, everything sharpened. Whatever they had, they were going there to get them sharpened, to get them made. They couldn't even make their own swords. We see this happening that on the day of the battle, there were two men in all of Israel who even had swords or a spear. The situation was dire, right? And here's the thing that I know, and, and, and I realize this for most of us, is that we are encouraged by people who overcome obstacles and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. Are we not, right? Everybody loves to see a great comeback story, right? I think ESPN does a lot of the 30 for 30. We love to see stories of people coming back from deficits and and, and imminent loss and destruction, and we see them um, victorious. And so today, I thought about this, since we're kind of repping some of our favorite team, we kind of got the football theme going, right? Some people wearing some jerseys or representing their favorite team. I thought we'd go back in time, take a little trip in history, and see my favorite team and a time where victory was snatched from the jaws of defeat. And so we got a little video for you to watch. I, I hope it, you can hold back the tears as you watch this video. It was tough for me as I went back and saw it again. But I want you to see this great victory and this overcoming of circumstances as they play this video right here. Cabrera comes to the plate to bat for the pitcher. He hacked at the 2-0, now the 2-1. Line drive and a base hit! Just as the score of the tying run, Green to the plate, and he is safe, safe at the plate. The Braves go to the World Series. The unlikeliest of heroes wins the National League Championship Series for the Atlanta Braves. Francisco Cabrera, and Atlanta pulls out game seven with three runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. Just give me a second. <laughs> One of the greatest moments ever, right? It just brings me so much joy. Um, now the Braves are doing good, uh, if we can hit. But this hat actually is signed by Sid Bream that scored that winning run. Isn't that cool? One of the things that's pretty cool about it, I've seen this signature and some others, and he always puts a Bible verse uh, with his signature. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, but, but yeah, this is probably my favorite team stuck with them through a lot of bad years, you know, and we got to celebrate a lot of good years, but that was a situation that was pretty dire, right? Game seven of the, the NLCS, they were down three in the bottom of the ninth. You got Francisco Cabrera at the plate, who I don't think ever played a full season of baseball, but had a huge clutch hit. And we look at this and we love to see victory snatched from the jaws of defeat. And there's no time that probably is any bigger than what we're seeing happen here um, with Jonathan and with Saul. And we look at this, and the thing that I want you to take away from this for us today, other than 
pulling for the Braves down the stretch is this, that the church's impact is not determined by the era, the culture, or the circumstances she finds herself in. The church's impact is not determined by the era, the culture, or the circumstances she finds herself in. It's determined by her faith actions. Circumstances do not determine this. That we live in unprecedented times. That has been stated and will continue to be stated. There is no doubt about it. But no matter what the culture, the circumstances, no matter what is going on around us, here is the bottom line truth. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is the answer to man's greatest need in all generations, in all cultures, and in all situations. I thought about the words to this song, King of Kings, this week. I went and, and, and printed some of them out. We sing this song from time to time. And some of the lyrics says, and the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath till that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of Christ was born. Then the spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, it shall not faint. And I do not care what era we are in, what generation we are in, what the culture is, what the circumstances are. This gospel truth of all will not kneel, it will not faint. It is still the greatest news ever heard. It is still the greatest, greatest power for change that there has ever been is that the Holy Spirit working through the gospel of truth still takes dead men and brings them to life. The church's impact is not determined by the era, the culture, the circumstances. It is determined by our faith actions. If you look at verses 22 through 14.3, it, it talks about how this detachment's gone out. Jonathan's there with his own armor bearer. He says, let's go to this Philistine outpost. And it says this, it says in verse two, that Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. And it, it seems kind of insignificant. Like, why is he under a pomegranate tree? But this was something kind of traditional for Israel. You can go back and read in other times in the Old Testament where when they would rule, they would rule like a lot of times sitting under a tree. It's where they would judge things. It's where they would make decisions. It was, it was a, a, a traditional kind of thing. Now, here's the thing I want you to see in this is Saul is just going about life like nothing's about to happen. He's just going about life, just regular old life, like nothing's about to happen. Just going through his day, just sitting under the tree in the shade. And their death is imminent. At any moment, the Philistines could say, let's go get them. They don't have a sword. They don't have a spear. And Saul is just going about the tradition of Israel just like it's always been. So many of us today, we sit idly under this tree of tradition and we're wasting the potential that God has given us. But here's the thing I want to encourage us with today. We don't have to be like Saul. We've got to realize that we are dangerous in the hands of God. Just like this, this uh, devotional said, Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. 
The church is a dangerous band of believers that are united around the greatest news ever heard, tethered together by the Holy Spirit and unified by a common purpose. Both, listen, this is so amazing to me. Both Saul and Jonathan were dangerous. They were both dangerous. They were the two that had the sword and the spear. They were dangerous not because of what they could do, but because of what God would do. You look at them there and, and they're both tangibly equipped the same way. Physically, they both have swords, they both have spears, but it wasn't the tangible things that made the difference. It was what was inside of them. I pray today that something would be stirred inside of us. That we would realize God has given us all the armament we need. That God is not waiting on us, or we're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us to take the step of faith, that next step of faith. They were equipped the same. What's inside? Can we press into God? Can we see the glory of the Lord high and lifted up? All authority given to him, this great potential and purpose that's been given to us, that our commitment would be extreme to God and each other, the purpose he's called us to, that something inside of us would get stirred. We wouldn't be like this tradition, just watching things go by or sitting like nothing's about to happen or nothing needs to happen, but we would be much more like Jonathan who recognizes the signs of the times and says, this is urgent, let's go. The next part is in verses four through seven. I want you to see this, that our potential is activated. Our, our potential turns into fulfillment of purpose when it's activated through audacious steps of faith. Our potential turns into the fulfillment of purpose when it is activated through audacious steps of faith. I love in these, this section of scripture, where Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. And he says this, this is this word so big to me, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the Lord will give them into our hands. So you remember when you're on the playground as a kid and like maybe you're playing kickball and, and you kick the ball and it goes up and hits the power line, right? And then it kind of messes up the whole play. And everybody's arguing about what should happen. What ended up solving all of it? It was this one little phrase, do over. Right, did y'all do that? Like we'd be arguing, and then we had somebody, do over, do over. Okay, do over. Settled everything. But understand this, in this situation, there is no do over. This is life or death. Either God shows up or he doesn't. You know, so many of us never get to see God move in powerful ways because we never put ourselves in places where God has to move. God desires to move in our lives, your life, my life, but especially us together to do incredible things. This word perhaps, it's a faith word. A.W. Milne, he stepped out on a perhaps. Jonathan and his armor bearer, he st they stepped out in perhaps. Heck, you're sitting here today because 
People stepped out in a perhaps. Almost 13 years ago now, 11 people gathered in a home at 1684 Metro. We ate chili and talked about perhaps. Perhaps God, perhaps God, what if? Let's go. Started meeting at a pond house out in Cleto. Y'all know where that's at? No, most of you don't because it's that, that unknown, right? It's just a little hole. Met at a pond house out in Cleto. Started getting together on a perhaps. So messed up, we didn't own anything, didn't have anything. We borrowed everything, screen projector, all this stuff. People started coming. We're like, what's happening? Perhaps, perhaps God's doing something. And people start coming and we have these incredible worship services. But the problem is when adults come, they bring kids with them. We're like, what are we gonna do with these kids? Because the pond house is pretty much just one big room. It's got two little bedrooms, but you couldn't do anything but lock them in there. But there was a screened in porch. So we're like, let's put them on the screened in porch. Problem is it's December by this time. It's dark early. It's getting down in the forties. I'm like, I don't care. Just put them out. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. But so we're like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I know we'll wrap the porch in plastic and then we'll put heaters on the porch. And so we go and we, we get plastic and I wrap the whole porch in plastic to hold the heat in. So I go to a buddy of mine, has a construction business. And I said, hey, you got some big heaters we can use. He said, yeah, there's two propane heaters out there. Go ahead and get them. What I didn't know is that when you fired these things up, they shot a flame about this far. So the first night, it's, it's cold, it's dark. Kids are coming. Now I'm like, all right, these are the only heaters we got. They're like, you want to use them? I'm like, heck yeah. And so we crank those things up. They're blowing a flame this far out. I took some tables and kind of set them around the, the heaters. And they're like, what do you want us to teach them? I'm like, I don't care. Just don't let them catch on fire. And, and this is how we started. It was all on a perhaps. We went to a, the blue building. We went to the high school. Today we're here and we're still living on this perhaps, but we've got to continue to take faith action. Some of you who've been here a while, you've heard me preach these messages where we've talked about the widow who, who had this oil and, and um, the prophet told her to go get these jars. And she, he said, just pour the oil into the jars. And she went and got a bunch of jars and she started pouring oil into these jars and the oil never ran out until she ran out of jars. We can't be a people who quit giving God empty jars to fill. God desires to move. He moves through our audacious steps of faith. If you look at verses 8, 14, 8 through verse 14, what you end up seeing is the audacious faith, this audacious step of faith that the armor bearer that Jonathan took together actually led others to get involved. They began to step to these people who had even gone over to the Philistine side. They come back and begin to fight people who had, had run away and they were hiding in caves and all these other places. They saw the faith. They saw the work of God beginning to move and they came back and begin to get into the fight. You know, what's going to bring people back into the house of God, back to the people of God. I know we're in a pandemic and I'm not saying like, you're ready to get here. Like, no, you do what's right for you. But what I am saying is in the midst of this, many people have walked away. What's gonna bring people back who, who, who know the Lord or who don't know the Lord? 
What's going to bring them to the Lord is not us begging them. It's not us making them feel guilty. It's a move of God that they see God is doing something. They see that there is life amongst the people of God. They see that there is hope amongst the people of God. And when we step courageously in faith, God gives victory. It calls other people to the fight. There's this one passage here that I do want to point out because I think it's, it's really, really important. If you look at it, it says, Jonathan tells his armor bearer, he says, listen, if they say come up to us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. I was reading that again this week and I preached through this passage multiple times over 13 years, but I was reading it this week and it hit me. I'm like, what's our sign, right? If we, if we are about to step, like what's our sign that the Lord will give the purpose into our hands that he'll use us in these ways that he promises. And I thought about it, you know, our sign, our sign is the empty tomb. Our sign is the empty tomb. It is the sign that we have been victorious. And now the gift of the Spirit in us is the guarantee that that victory is sure. That ultimately, no matter what happens to us today or tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade, next century. The honest truth is we already have attained victory. We're fighting from victory, not for victory. It's already secured. The sign of the victory is that the tomb is empty. We see in this, in verse 15 through 22, that God honors those steps of faith. That they recognize that perhaps the Lord will move. It seems God's lining this up. Now we're going. God honors these steps of faith and he sends a panic upon the Philistines. And this great victory is won. Something that would not have happened if they had not taken those steps of faith. I would ask you this today. What is your next step of faith? What is God calling you to? There are a million steps. There are a million steps you can take here. There's a million steps you can take out there. Listen, you can come to a welcome class here. You can go to the heart and soul class where you learn more about what it means to be heart and soul, what that practically looks like. You can go to CEA, which is Equipping Academy, where you can be equipped to do more in ministry, to serve in different ways. You, you can do, um, you can get in a connect group, which is something every single person should do to live in community. Because as JC said, listen, we were not meant to live alone and do this alone. We were meant to do this together. There are bunches of things. There are bunches of things out here. The needs are endless in what we can do and what you can rally people to, to be a part of. The thing that I know is it's not my job to tell you that next step. You have been given the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. The job that I have is not to program your life. It is to get you to lean into God's voice and begin to follow what he would have you to do. What's your next step? Get with some people, man. We'll talk it through. Walk it out. 
but start stepping. I found in my life, I start feeling like maybe this is where God's leading me. I'll start walking that way. And you know what? It either is or it isn't. God will show, God will show, right? He'll reveal. But let's start taking some steps of faith. Maybe it's serving here. Maybe it's serving out there. I don't know what it is for you, but I do know this. God is calling us to take some action steps, some faith steps. I'm gonna close this because I don't wanna leave this in any other way without focusing it back on why we do what we do, why we give extreme commitment to God, why we give extreme commitment to each other. In other words, our motivation. See, the failure as Saul as king points us towards another king who would not fail. It points us to Jesus, the king of kings, who would be perfectly obedient, unlike Saul, who was almost completely disobedient through his life. And Jesus came and lived perfectly obedient. Jesus, unlike Saul, saw the enemy and he took action. So much action that the Bible says he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant and even to the point of death on a cross. He scorned the shame of the cross because of the joy, it says, that was set before him. Jesus saw the enemy. Jesus took action. Jesus, like Jonathan, defeated the enemy. But the enemy that Jesus defeated is the enemy that plagued mankind from the very beginning. Yet in Genesis 3.15, as soon as sin happened, God makes this proclamation to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between you and her offspring. And he, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And Jesus came once and for all to defeat the enemy, to overcome sin and the consequence of sin, death. Jesus, like Jonathan, climbed a hill to defeat the enemy. But it wasn't this, this hill, Bozaz and whatever it was, it was called Calvary. And he couldn't climb with his hands and feet because he had a big board on his back. But he had to carry it. And just like that journey for Jonathan and for, for uh, his armor bearer, it wasn't pleasant. It wasn't easy. But for Jesus, it was worth it. It was worth it because of the joy that was set before him. And here's the crazy thing. Do you know what that joy was? That joy was us. It was the reconciliation of all things back to the way it was intended to be. And even though now we only experience that partially, we know when we get to the end of this amazing book that is living and active, that all things ultimately return to the way they were in the beginning. And we see this happen because of what Jesus was willing to do as he climbed this hill to die on a cross to defeat the enemy once and for all. We see that it was there that our sin was placed upon him. We see that it was there that God's wrath fell on him. He even told his disciples when they were wanting to sit in the places of honor, he said, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And they naively and even stupidly said, yes, we can drink it. He says, you'll drink it, but you don't even understand what you're talking about. Because the cup he's referring to is the cup of God's wrath that he would drink fully for our sin that was placed upon him so you would not have to drink it. See, this is our motivation. This is why we give extreme commitment to God and why we are fiercely loyal to one another because we see the love that God has poured out. This love inspires, this love moves, the spirit gives 
this assurance and we step in faith, trusting that God will do what he's promised he will do. I want you to realize this, that being heart and soul, it begins with being heart and soul with God. And here's the thing I would tell you, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, if your sin has never been taken from you by faith and that sin replaced with righteousness, then that can happen for you today just by saying yes to Christ, this offer. He, he says, look, I'll give you my righteousness. You give me your unrighteousness. I'll give you my cleanness. You give me your uncleanness. And guess what? I'm gonna take what's dead inside of you and I'm gonna replace it with life by giving you my spirit. I'm gonna give you a new heart that loves God. I'm gonna give you a new heart that loves Jesus. I'm gonna give you a new heart that is on fire because of the Holy Spirit. And if today that's something you don't have, listen, you don't have a relationship with Christ, but today, as it says at the very end of this passage, it says, so on that day, the Lord saved Israel. Maybe today is the day that the Lord saves you. So right now, if you know this is your day, the day that the Lord saves you, why don't you do this with, with, with all of us right now so we can celebrate with you. Why don't you stick your hand in the air and say, look, today for the first time I'm accepting Christ. I need Jesus Christ right now to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Anybody here today that this is what is happening in your heart right now? Don't sit idly under the tree of tradition thinking that, ever, thank you, buddy. If, um, if we can pray with you, man, we'd love to do that. If you don't mind, if we could pray. Uh, Miss Vivian would love to just kind of help you in the back right here. Would you raise your hand up again, sir? I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you. But we do believe here that this is something to celebrate, not something to be ashamed of. And what we like to do is we like to take people and be able to help them understand this commitment, help them understand their next steps. And, and listen, this is the greatest thing that could ever happen to somebody, right? And so we want to celebrate this. If this is you, one more time before we leave. You're like, heck no, I ain't raising my hand now. I ain't going back there. Promise we don't sacrifice anything back there. It's just good. It's just taking that next step of faith with you. Guys, listen, I, I sincerely mean this. There's incredible potential in God's church and, and with people watching online, I know we are in weird days. There's incredible potential for what God is going to do. Let's make that commitment to God and each other. And let's take some bold steps of faith as God leads that we would see him move in incredible ways, that the enemy would be put into a panic and light would take the place of darkness in the world around us. What an incredible statement that in 50 years, if the community around us, that the world because of God's church could say, listen, before the church was here, there was no light. But since the church has been here, there's now no darkness. Amen. Father, we thank you for this, Lord, that you've called us. What a privilege to be a part of this, Lord.
God, would you move in our hearts? Thank you that you lead us and guide us. Would you encourage us, God, as we get into your word? Would you speak to us? Thank you, God, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you are saying to us. Would you speak to us even as we're riding in our cars, as we're out for a walk, as we're at a ball field, would you speak to us and lead us and give us courage to take these steps of faith, God, that we know you move through. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.